Hey guys, Jim Cox, Devon Financial Partners, Park Avenue Securities. I'm here today with an interview from J.T. Kosman. He's a PhD with working in AI and wanted to get his uh, viewpoint on what's going to happen with AI and kind of where the economy is moving to. J.T., thanks for taking the time to talk. Oh, thanks for inviting me. Awesome. So why don't we? Uh, why don't you go over a little bit of your background? How did you get involved in artificial intelligence, and kind of what's your background? Yeah, uh, well, I think I got involved in artificial intelligence because there wasn't nearly enough real intelligence around, and I was desperately looking for something to fill the void. Gotcha. Uh, in, in all truth and sincerity, I've been in this business for a very, very long time. I learned to program on an IBM 1620 hull with punch cards back in the 70s. Wow. And so I've been in and around this business for, uh, well, certainly long before the modern incarnation. But uh, over the last couple of years, working backward chronologically, currently I sit on uh, several boards. Uh, I'm on the board of directors for a holding company, uh, FinTech, a couple of other companies, and I serve as a strategic advisor and uh, consultant to a number of other companies talking about getting their artificial intelligence strategies in alignment and, and making sense. And that perspective comes from uh, my training is as a data scientist, a mathematician, and a psychologist. Uh, and that's work I've been doing, as I say, for a very long time, just prior uh, to my current roles on the boards. I was the chief data officer for Time Inc. Before that, I was the chief data scientist for Samsung. Hmm. And before that, uh, I helped stand up, establish, and create many of the capabilities for the U.S. intelligence, defense, and security industries, as well as uh, a lot of work in the digital media marketing arena. So that's a pretty broad background in terms of different parts of the economy. And what do you, what do you see as the kind of the, it seems to have exploded in the past year or two, especially in terms of like what I see happening with the economy. Is is that kind of your take on it or? You know, I think I would expand out to about three years, but I think, yeah, it's reaching uh, a sort of a crescendo yeah. in the last year. We've seen this percolate since around 2011 is when uh, things really started the upward trajectory and it's just been this really steep incline. And over the last year, uh, year and a half, two years, is where things uh, I would tend to agree have really taken off. Is there is there like a reason for that kind of acceleration and that kind of um, hockey stick effect? Yeah, you know there is. There's actually three reasons, and it's hmm. the confluence of three factors that have really fundamentally changed AI and what's now uh, possible. And that is uh, data, big data, uh, or what we all refer to as big data, the massive amounts of data that are now available, and actually uh, what make machine learning, AI, cognitive computing possible. Uh, You can't run uh, a machine without fuel, and the very basic fuel of artificial intelligence is data. And so the explosion of data has really been a major contributing factor. The second contributing factor has been uh, some recent advances in algorithms 
and the processes, the methodology that we're using. There have been some truly revolutionary advances over the last couple of years. And then the third thing is computing power, computing processing power. You and I are used to thinking about CPUs, the central processing unit that sits in our laptop and in our PCs. Well, a couple of years ago, back in about 2011, we made a shift from using CPUs to GPUs, mm. graphical processing units. And those are the things that run our PlayStations and uh, our Xbox. In fact, back in 2011, I had one of my lieutenants running around D.C. quite literally buying up all the PlayStations he could so we could wire them together into a supercomputer. Wow. Well, we now, over the last year, have moved beyond GPUs into what's called TPUs, TensorFlow processing units, and Google is now making those available through clouds at costs that are astonishingly low. And so you get these three things combined, and you have, uh, you know, there's all these hype cycles in the business world. Uh, this is real. This is the discovery of a new fuel source, a new mechanism, a new approach, a new way of understanding and doing business. Well, I mean, clearly that's revolutionary. I mean, you look at like the scale of being able to use that kind of data um, for businesses, but I mean, are businesses collecting the right kind of data to be able to feed that machine? I mean, or is it a matter of, I don't know. I mean, you know, that's a great question. Uh, I, I unfortunately got correctly quoted one time in the Wall Street Journal a couple of months back, uh, I guess a year and a half ago, and they were asking something similar about the size of the data, and I told them it's not the size of the data, that it's what you do with it that counts. Mm. And that's actually true. Uh, to your point, just having lots and lots and lots of data is a wonderful thing, but it's being able to cull through that to get the essential elements and the data you really need. That said, that is increasingly available to just about everyone. Mm. Uh, the work that I did years ago, well, not years ago, four years ago, five years ago, six years ago, with the U.S. intelligence community, of course, we have these treasure troves of data, but as much data is available now in the corporate arena, and often the quality is as good or better than what we were working with. Mm. What is it a matter of businesses developing new ways to input data and manage the data that could help them? Or Yeah. Or it, so in, in other words, is there going to be like a, what I see is happening is there's going to be classes of haves and have-nots, right, in terms of business. Sure. So companies that are able to take advantage of it, but if you're a business and you don't have that data, you're not able to take advantage of it unless you kind of piggyback on somebody else's data. Well, and I think that's true, but you've actually asked two questions. Let me answer them both very briefly. Uh, the first is, is it a matter of, you know, how you get out of the extraction? It's uh, funny you ask. I actually come from Nevada. Nevada is where we consider to be home, and not Vegas, northern mm -hmm. Nevada, proper Nevada, upper end Reno. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest industries in Nevada uh, of course, gaming is number one, tourism, but one of the biggest industries is mining. And people tend to forget that northern Nevada in particular was built 
based on the Comstock load and on silver mining and these sorts of things. Well, mining is still a big operation in Nevada, but it bears no resemblance to what it did in the days of the, you know, the old 49ers who would uh, uh, pan for gold in the riverbed. These are major commercial operations now, and they use chemical processes to be able to extract gold or, or iron or from the dirt. And so very analogously, we're doing the same thing in data mining now. We're taking very clever approaches to be able to glean that necessary information, that valuable ore, if you will, from the data. And so that answers your second question as well is, will there be an imbalance? Um, I think there will be. You know, Daniel Corton wrote a book uh, about, gosh, I guess about 25 years ago, titled When Corporations Rule the World. And I thought it was dystopian nonsense when I read it. But increasingly, you're seeing the fang companies, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, Microsoft, those giants uh, have a distinct advantage when it comes to these things. The only caveat is it turns out that since the big three elements are now available to everyone, the data, the algorithms, and the processing capacity, all you really need are smart people. Mm. All you really need is a good person uh, who can uh, be able to guide the strategy and then a good team to be able to uh, really extract value for you and your organization. So paradoxically, increasingly, these capabilities have become more available to just about anyone. Mm. Well, and I, uh, yeah, I can see that. Uh, the challenge, though, I would think would be you have a vast majority of the population who are either in managerial or non-technical roles, sales and so forth, that don't have that technical background to be able to transition into those kinds of jobs. I mean, it's not something you just pick up, right? You know, you're right, and that has led to uh, a real problem. I wrote an article a couple of months back that I titled The Rise of the Empty Suit. And what you're seeing are a lot of these folks being displaced who have these managerial skills, have the leadership skills, but frankly don't want to invest themselves sufficiently to get the true foundation, the true knowledge they need to be able to guide organizations in these endeavors. And so what do they do? They learn the buzzword bingo and the hype and the nonsense. And they learn to talk to talk sufficiently to be able to fool boards and executive committees into putting them into positions where they're doing a lot of damage. And I think we're going to see much more of that. I actually was just meeting with the uh, National Association of Corporate Directors, the NACD, at an event in Las Vegas as part of CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. And I was talking to them about exactly this. Exactly. How are you going to not be left behind? How are you going to take advantage of the inevitable AI evolution revolution that we're currently experiencing? Well, um, is it a matter of, I mean, it's kind of foundational to the economy. I mean, is it a matter of rethinking what we define as what's important to measure in the economy? I mean, are we looking at the wrong data points on a macro level when we talk about, hey, the economy is booming, and well, the fact is, maybe it's not? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think it's actually interestingly, and this is just my humble opinion, which is rarely all that humble, but uh, really it's almost the opposite of that. You know, the, the people who are listening uh, to this podcast, who are listening to this conversation now, I'll argue they already know what to do. Mm. They, the business fundamentals are not changing, right? Uh, you still need to understand your customer. You still need to be able to meet their needs. You need to be able to deliver profitably. What you're talking about now are mechanisms that let you enhance those capabilities. In fact, when I talk about artificial intelligence, instead of talking about AI, I often talk about IA, intelligence augmentation. How can we make what we do better and more effective? I'll, I'll give you a wonderful example. Um, J.P. Morgan, uh, financial services from the bank, just put in a wonderful new process they call COIN. COIN is the acronym for contract investigation. Uh, I didn't say they were good at naming things, but then, you know, my dog's name is Dog, so I'm really <laughs> bad at naming things. So it's not like I'm going to point fingers at them, but... The system they put in, all machine learning, natural language processing, artificial intelligence driven, and its job is to look through contracts the same way that was was previously done by loan officers and lawyers. Mm. Well, in their first year of full operation, they found that COIN was able to do the exact same work, but more efficiently, more effectively, more accurately than was previously done by 360,000 hours of labor, of contribution. Wow. 360,000 hours replaced, and the work was done in a matter of a couple of hours by this system. Imagine the advantages you now have over other people in your sector. And when you consider that productivity gains have been horrifically anemic over the past 50 years in the United States. In fact, over the last 50 years, uh, we've seen gains of approximately 1.8% annually on average in productivity. Now you're talking about double, triple, quadruple digit improvements in productivity. Wow. Now you've got something. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned productivity because, you know, a lot of the People I've seen speak have said that productivity has not been increasing over the past 10 years and that it's been stagnant. And that's been one of the problems for the economy. I've actually pushed against that because I do see what's happening with AI. And um, But it's like well, there's, there's two sides of the story. Of this is, I'm basing this off of the Department of Labor, uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics yeah. on numbers that assess productivity in the United States. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that we are seeing that hockey stick now. Yeah. All of, uh, what we've seen in the past was, and anecdotally it makes sense too, right? You and I remember a time when they first introduced PCs into the workplace, and we thought we would live a life like the Jetsons, where all of a sudden all we had to do was hit a button. Well, that didn't happen, did it? Right? We came up with... It turns out the business world abhors a vacuum. And so we came up with more and more things to do and ways to do them. Mm. Uh, and uh, we tend to see some of the same. Uh, AI is such a tectonic shift that it's fundamentally changing that for the very first time since. Uh, and this is not precedent, by the way. If you look back historically, we saw 
saw the same discontinuity caused by the introduction of electrification into yeah. the business world, into manufacturing in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What um, you mentioned, uh, J.P. Morgan, how is, I'm curious, and I, I just thought of this, like, what's the connection between blockchain and AI? Is there one? how you use the blockchain. mentioned you have a background working with the Department of Defense and uh, AI. I read an article earlier today about um, robotics being integrated into, obviously, uh, kind of the militarization of this kind of technology. What's your sense on that as far as the opportunities or the risk? Well, I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I have a misspent years prior to becoming uh, going into grad school, I spent a career as a paramedic, a police officer, a deep-sea rescue diver, and then I was team leader of a scout sniper recon team with the U.S. Army Special Forces. And so I have some uh, very definitive views, very definite views on the utilization of robots and these mechanisms uh, in those professions. The bottom line, I'm all for it. Anything that can keep soldiers from harm's way, anything that can save lives, anything that can uh, be able to uh, affect the outcomes that we're looking for, whether those are philosophical or kinetic, more effectively, I'm all for it. Um, uh, (laughs) I have uh, enough uh, injuries myself and have buried enough friends over the years uh, to never be opposed to anything that can make the military mission that much more effective. Mm-hmm. What, um, one of the, it, f- it feels like there's going to be like a really 
painful transition for a lot of people in the labor force with what's happening and what's going to happen over the next five to ten years. What What's the one piece of advice that you would have in terms of how to ease that pain of that transition for the labor force? You know, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, one of the myths, I think, that's circulating is that uh, everyone's going to be replaced by the robots. The robots are going to come and get us, and we're all going to be unemployed soon. And that is absolutely absurd. It's not going to happen. Uh, I rarely make future predictions. Let me tell you this, that's not going to happen. There are some things that are just never going to change. You know, just as we, despite all the technological advances we've seen over the last hundred years, we still have staplers on our desk. We still have umbrellas for when it rains. There's some technology that we can asymptote and that we just need it. Mm. Now, will there be some shifts in the workforce? Absolutely. But we've always seen that. You know, you and I remember a time when calling someone a secretary wasn't a pejorative term. That mm. was just what people did for a living. We don't have secretaries anymore. We don't have a need for people to take dictation and type and take a letter and do filing. Uh, although I do miss people bringing me coffee. But now we have EAs, right? Executive assistants. And thank heaven, because we can't live without them. They have many more responsibilities. They're just different. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm old enough to remember a time when we had elevator operators yeah. uh, who would push the buttons for you, right? Uh, in fact, my father, when he was a young man, the most populous job in New York, Los Angeles, Washington State, Chicago, and a couple of other major cities was the job of stevedore. How many people listening to us right now even know what a stevedore is? I don't know. Stevedores yeah. were those people who picked things up and carried them on and off of ships. They were replaced by container ships and by forklifts. We always have these, you know, schumpeterian discontinuities in the market and these shifts in labor. And inevitably, there are going to be a lot of jobs that either the job is gone, though that will happen far less often than aspects of the job will be gone. More of that intelligence augmentation, right? But it turns out what computers excel at uh, is exactly the things that humans hate. It's what's called Moravec's paradox. It turns out computers are very good at the things that we're bad at, and they're very bad at the things we're very good at. Mm. Uh, if you ask a computer, well, if you ask a person, what is the square root of 3,267,235, most people scratch their heads for a few minutes at least. So a computer, that's trivial. But if you ask a computer, Who's better looking, me or George Clooney, much to my chagrin, any four-year-old can figure it out in a second and tell you it's George. But a computer, they can't figure that out. And so my advice, sorry for the long-winded response to your question, is to don't be a meat robot. Don't be trying to emulate and do what a computer can do better. Do what computers can't do. So that gets... to my wife, who is uh, an ICU nurse, and it was titled, Robots Will Never Take This Job. And I talked about those elements that 
robots are unlikely to replace any time in the foreseeable future. Things like humanity and judgment. Hmm. Hmm. No, that's uh, good advice. So really focusing on like uh, creativity is is really the a stable avenue to uh, you know who knew that liberal arts majors are going to come back into vogue. Um, well, I think actually you raise a, a very important, a great point. You know, we're finding that it's uh, we tend to think AI and we think engineering. Uh, I had just written a response this morning to some colleagues talking about just that is this is more about thinking than about engineering. This mm. is more about uh, having the capacity to actually understand the concepts and the ideas. The people who are listening to us today are the sorts of people who I'll argue are best positioned to be more successful. So long as they align, affiliate themselves with people who have the technical acumen and expertise, they already have the judgment, they have the business understanding, they have the appreciation of the bigger picture. They can see the forest through the trees, hire gardeners, hire other people to cultivate the trees. Mm-hmm. As long as you have a liaison who can work with you to intermediate those things. And that's one of the things I've been almost begging and beseeching my colleagues on boards and the executive suite to do is get away from those empty seats. Everyone, everyone, everyone needs to have a chief insert here, data officer, data scientist, artificial intelligence, whatever you choose to title them. You need someone who can have a foot in both camps, who can understand the business necessities and needs, but can also understand the technological possibilities and really have the chops to have the respect of the people they'd be leading and be able to curate, cultivate great solutions. And if you can't get one, there are a couple of great shops now, well, very few of them, but go find one of the very senior strategic advisors who you can have stand by your side. Yeah. The the one thing I would add to that list of skills for that person to do that you would bring in would be they have to find a way to educate everybody underneath them to what's going on to keep them up to speed because the pace of change is so rapid that, you know, missteps of six months or a year, you know, can cost you the game from a company perspective. You, you know, I couldn't agree more. I actually always think of it as three overlapping circles like a Venn diagram. Yeah. And the third, I tend to label communication. And uh, it's inclusive of that educational component. But you also need someone who can make these complex concepts comprehensible. Uh, you know, one of the standards I've always held my guys to, the people who work for me, is our presentations, our solutions have to be so simple a CEO can understand them. And these women aren't brilliant, but they don't care. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have the bandwidth to really care at a deep level about this. They want to understand the concept. They want to do what they do. Yeah. And I think being able to communicate that, whether it's on the stage, on the page, or in the room, uh, and be able to make those concepts clear is, is one of the missing vital skills. That's awesome. Uh, great uh, note to uh, end things on. Um We'll have to do it again. We'll have to chat some more in the future because uh, obviously this is 
this is an evolution of where the economy is moving to. I appreciate your taking the time, JT. And if uh, people want to reach out to you and uh, connect to you, how can they reach you? You know, uh, I'm actually uh, a pretty low-maintenance, easy-going guy. You can just email me directly at my name at Gmail, JT Costman. That's J-T-K-O-S-T-M-A-N at gmail.com. I will encourage you to also join me on LinkedIn. I tend to write quite a bit on this topic. Uh, and you know, feel free to reach out to get in touch. I'm always happy to have a conversation with people who are interested in this domain. Awesome. Next time I'm in New York, we'll have to grab some coffee and talk some more. Well, hopefully we'll have uh, we have this amber effervescent cold liquid here we call beer. Uh, I'll be sure to buy you one of those. Awesome. Awesome. Look forward to it. <laughs> hey, have a good uh, have a good day, and I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, JT. Thanks for inviting me. Take care. Bye bye.